This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Good evening and welcome to episode five of season two of the No Stroke podcast. My name is Dave Dancer. I'm here with my co-host this evening, Michael Garrow. Good evening, Mike. How are you? I'm well, David. Happy Tuesday. You um, Let's start off with the fact that you guilt-tripped me into going for a run this past weekend. Um, one that I, it was very overdue for sure. For sure. So I'm happy I did it. But I also wore a pair of shoes that were a bit too small for me. So now I've been limping around the house, you know, and then that happens. It's like it's it's almost like a it's just a muscle bruise, like, but it oh. kills. So oh. I did the 5K. I okay. flying. I felt great on Saturday. But ever since then, every time I, I take a step away from my desk, I think of you. So yep. glad well, I I. I'm glad my strategy worked of the night before reminding you to put your shorts and your sneakers. Maybe it was too early in the morning and you maybe you grabbed an old pair of sneaks that you should have maybe given a little more thought to your footwear. Is that? Yeah, look, no need to, you know, <laughs> you know I, I know I made the mistake. I, I just want well, you know, to know that you were it was all in good health for you because you came off a very, let's say, aggressive month of wedding crashing. Um, then there was, I think a beer fest somewhere in there just to get in the spirit of October. And now we're in November and I want, I'm in my, your, your health is my top interest. So, uh, while I ask you to maybe just raise a quick, we don't normally do this, but Mike, I'm putting you on the spot and you have to on the video cast. We had well intentions to make a physical fall meeting here. And because of your busy travel schedule in the coming month, we're not going to be able to make that happen. So we are virtually having a toast. By the way, uh, I'll describe that I have my very last Sam Adams summer ale. And Mike, of course, yeah. Mike, what do you got? Well, it's a Guinness glass. And, you know, for any Irish folks who are who are going to listen here, well, cheers. First off, cheers. cheers. We did it. Okay. That's as close as we come. We started this whole mission virtual. We can continue virtual. And by the way, um, Sam Adams or Guinness, if you, you know, you want to pop in and, you know, give our show some show sponsorship, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to block at that. Right, Mike? We don't, we don't promote drinking all the time, but I'm going to say that I'm glad we actually could at least make this happen virtual. So Mike, with that said, it's a rough transition, but in the news, what struck you this week? Before we transition to in the news, let's let's let the guests know that we're trying something a little different this week, right? So we have an excellent guest this week, someone that we teed up from our previous episode from Yukon Health. Really exciting, and it, it was an amazing conversation. We just wrapped that conversation up, and now we're recording our intro after. So we didn't drink through the podcast, but we did have a... <laughs> But we did have a, a, you know, a celebratory beverage 
after we finished it up. Thank you for that. Recording. Thank you for that welcome. full disclosure, yeah. Mike. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, not not that I think anybody would, you know, really, really mind, but just just lay it out there. Uh, so let's talk in the news. It's It's been a week of stroke in the headline again. Um, one that I know that you're, you know, it was a surprise. Um, we'll touch on that, but then I think the one that you'll probably dive into um, hits home for for you a lot closer. You know, with with what you're doing in a virtual environment through through your uh, PT uh, consulting. So let's start off. So last night, I walked in the house and NBC was on the on the television, and they're talking headline type of fat not how much linked to stroke stroke risk study finds so this pretty much explained that um you know fat from animal sources were linked to higher risk of stroke while vegetable fats were linked to a lower risk so i i mean i'll let you run with that one because i know you're going to be very opinionated on it um second is in, it was on neurology today, but really what they're talking about is the challenges of maintaining telehealth access in the now, hopefully, as we continue, there might be, hopefully we don't get what Germany had with another surge, but, you know, this post-pandemic world. And I think it's been a question, you know, for a while now, it's, you know, all right, telehealth, it's, it's, benefic- it's been beneficial through the pandemic. Obviously, the codes and everything kind of went out the window during the pandemic but now once we adapt you know what's this model look like um and even our guest today spoke to a hybrid model right so i think everybody believes that's going to be the future of of healthcare but um yeah i i know you you dove into that article so let's let's take your pick first off give me your opinion on the nbc news article well. Well, I don't know. There's like, I don't have a lot to say. It's like mic drop on that one after I say, well, I probably walked in the house around the same time. And I was like, anytime anything flashes, we probably, you know, we're probably like ready to take notes of what, what's new, what's exciting. And wasn't to that, you know, wasn't all that exciting um, when I went and looked for the follow-up information because sometimes they'll give that splash for 15 seconds. There wasn't much more to that 15 seconds of splash other than my opinion is like basic education. There's not a lot of, um, there's, there shouldn't be a lot of surprise to that. A high fat, <laughs> animal fat based diet, um, not best for the cardiovascular cardio, um, you know, (laughs) just overall health. So um, I don't have a lot to add to that. And, you know, even with the nutrition background and what we now know about the diet and health link and stroke risk link, I think that um, it, 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 um, I don't know that it really merited making (laughs) the national news, but any education about stroke is a good segment to have. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but there wasn't a lot behind the details of that particular well, study. So if there's, a, if there's one good thing we know, at least it wasn't fake. News. So yes, good yeah. point. Good point. Right. Um, so if we transition to the telehealth and the rolling back of the guidelines or just kind of the way 
you know, that article that you mentioned was in Neurology Today. Um, it was done by Gina Shore, and it just came out November 4th. And I do have a little bit more to say on that because although the article um, was referencing um, care from the stroke care teams, neurologists, um, I lived it and still live it as a, as a rehab professional doing mostly telehealth these days. Um, it painted a good picture and we'll put, maybe we can put this in the show notes too, about the differences just in depends where you are looking for service. The, um, the experience can be in, entirely different. And they, they, um, gave the case of neurologist in Wake Forest, um, and North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where, um, having patients try to, you know, seek services by driving into parking lots across state lines to be able to still see legally see a neurologist because some of their guidelines and um, ability to get reimbursed for the care they deliver via telehealth. Um, some of those things had rolled back. Um, not all states. I think the article points to um, since the pandemic, waivers are are become permanent for some in 18 states. And I'm just looking down at my notes, but in 32 states, there's no longer, they no longer have these waivers. So there's, there's a, a, um, there's a lot of bills being introduced. And even at the Medicare CMS level, um, you know, we started with e-health visits being permitted, you know, in rehab, then we were holding back and then telehealth, full telehealth came. Um, that's still right now in force, but at the Fed level, that's still something that's being debated. So um, they talk to a lot of the pain points and a lot of the barriers to care. But bottom line, and it kind of segues into you know our guest in terms of what we talked about is coordinating care. What gets lost in this is you're losing opportunities to have those touch points with the people who need it most. Not you know, we learned that it can work during a pandemic. And we've learned also that it's definitely going to continue to be needed if we're going to have effective delivery of these new care models. Like, you know, sometimes it's referred to digital first, but there's, there's this support that virtual can do very well and effectively when it's the right case. But it's a lot of time the legislation that, of course, makes the waters a bit muddy on terms of who can receive it. Yeah, that was a great overview, David. And, you know, it does make a good transition into our guest today. Um, but I think it also, you know, with, in conversation with, with our guests, you know, we, we were able to see that it's still pretty old school in, in many places, you know, and, and not to say old school doesn't work because like you said, sometimes the best place for a reminder is, you know, the magnet on the fridge. But when we think about, you know, true engagement and tracking outcomes and moving into, you know, value-based care, digital needs to fit in that, you know, and, and, you know, if there's one thing we know with healthcare, it's, you know, now that telehealth is needing to be regulated, it's not going to be easy. You know, if, it, mm-hmm. if anything we know about healthcare is it's always going to be complex Um, And adding an element of telehealth is is only going to become going to add more complexity to to the fire. So as as much as the discussions are needed and, you know, obviously warranted for. And and I think as you listen to 
our, our guest today. So yeah, yeah Brooke, as you listen to Brooke and, and her explain, you know, really her role and what, how she supports patients. It's so evident that there need, that there's a, a digital solution needed there. Right. You know, and when you think about that, touch those touch points, you think about her managing, you know, physical, um, folders for all these patients and all the different appointments, you know, recap with the caregivers, you know, there, there needs to be standard models of care that incorporates digital and, and obviously telehealth is a big part of that. So, um, but before we dive in and, and start, you know, share the, the conversation with Brooke, what were some of your biggest takeaways from the conversation today? Um, um, I love the term and the role. I've heard the term navigator used in a lot of other support roles. Um, yeah. um, cancer comes to mind, diabetes. Um, in stroke, there's no bigger responsibility than positions like Brooke holds as far as taking those critical next steps and helping the family get the best possible outcome services at the right time. And I, I, I love one of the, the things that we'll dive into with her. I love the uh, hybrid, um, the hybrid support group that, that came out of their need, their necessity to go completely virtual, but then to include those who wanted to remain virtual for various reasons. So pay attention to, to that when we dive into the interview, because that that's where I see, I see there being a big um, future and ability to include more in the discussion um, for whatever reason, but for the ability to actually, um, you know, go outside the clinic walls and the hospital walls in this case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, I think Brooke was an excellent guest. Um, you know, as we're, you know, bringing a more diverse kind of, you know, group of, of, you know, of guests in, you know, it's, it's amazing just to hear just episode after episode, the, the passion that these folks have to, to their role, whether it's, you know, we go back to Banga at Newgate and, you know, his, that patient story he was able to share, but, you know, Brooke, and you know other stroke navigators who are out there they're in the thick of it you know they're they're the ones untangling the weeds for these patients caregivers and absolutely you know loved ones to really you know support in that that moment when they think all is lost you know so it it was amazing to hear from brooke um obviously fit well that you know in our last episode we we spoke to the yukon uh, uh symposium that happened through you know just a couple of weeks, just a week back now. And we yeah. also got the great news that it's recorded. So we're, we'll share that link. Um, anybody interested to listen back, it sounded like it was an amazing event. Um, you guys are more than welcome to go back, listen to it. Um, and if you have any questions, you know, reach out to us, we'll ping Brooke. Um, or if you want to you know, reach out to Brooke directly, we also share all of her um, contacts in the show notes. So with that, um, you know, I hope, hope you guys, you know, I, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Um, and David, cheers to cheers our November two year anniversary of uh, two year anniversary in November. Off, and before we 
wrap up season two, we do have our schedules filling up fast with guests. So we are going to be doing probably some double sessions if we need to during the week to get everyone in before um, you take uh, take the next flight. I don't. I can't I'm call back it back on home. EU I soil. I can't. Yeah, no, EU it's not soil. Back home. Yeah, not they bad. can't and call you it know back what? home. Your second home. Your second <laughs> yeah. home. Okay. And only me. Yeah, I'm going to you know a winter holiday to a to the dark and and rainy Ireland. But um, yeah, really looking forward to it. So yeah, it'll be a busy month in November. But you know, have some like David said, some amazing guests. So um, everybody, you know, continue like, subscribe, share. And, uh, you know, get get the voice out there because, you know, we're, we're doing this for you guys and, you know, we, we hope it's helping. So Perfect. with that, let's get to the episode with Brooke Medell, stroke nurse at Yukon Health Center. Enjoy this episode. Good evening, everybody. Uh, we are now joined by Brooke Medell, a very timely guest, as if you remember in our last episode. We were just discussing Yukon Health Stroke Symposium. So we moved quickly. Medell was kind enough to join us here on the late Tuesday evening. Um, but yeah, you know, Medell, welcome to the, the No Stroke Podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, David, so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Well, I have to say, when you know, we, we talked about the event in our last episode and, you know, it's great to see awareness, obviously with it being stroke awareness day, uh, you know, late last or last week on the 29th of, of um, October. I know it's crazy how quickly mm-hmm. we're getting into the depths of winter here. Um, but it's, it was nice to also see something local happening, you know, at least for me, I'm a, I'm a Connecticut guy. So Yukon's not too far down the road. Um, and, you know, it seemed like the event went, went very well. So, you know, we're, we're definitely keen to kind of drive in and, and understand a bit more about, you know, who are some of the speakers, some of the key takeaways. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Brooke, let's, let's dive into your role within UConn. So I understand you're a stroke, stroke nurse navigator. You're, you've been there since June. So I myself just started a new role in June, so I could understand like, you you know, you're getting your feet wet, there's crazy things happening, but you know, you were saying before, you know, we started that it's, you know, you've moved from a few different hospitals. So you've been a nurse for about three years, um, moving kind of in a direction of a big, big hospital system down to a smaller. So talk, talk us through that. What's, what's your day to day like as a stroke nurse navigator? Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I'm, I'm pretty new in this role. As you said, I started in June. Uh, before that, I, I've been an ICU nurse my whole career before that. So I've always taken care of critically ill patients, uh, very sick stroke patients. And uh, it's really cool to now have a new perspective on the other end of the spectrum, um, being in a stroke nurse navigator role. So this is a pretty new role in general, um, besides just here at UConn. In general, the nurse navigator role was created to help that bridge between the inpatient to outpatient setting, especially with something like a life-altering event like a stroke. Um, Patients are found to be completely lost, and they're so overwhelmed with the change of their life and to throw on top of it all these appointments, rehab sessions, MRIs, echocardiograms, 
um, the families just don't have enough resources and support and they kind of feel like they're they're lost and they get discharged from the hospital and they're told to wait six weeks for their first appointment and so many questions come up. So that's why this role was created. And it's, it's just been so rewarding for me and for the patients. Um, and pretty much my day by day, what I do is I keep track every day, uh, all our stroke patients and stroke workup patients that are coming in the hospital. So I can have an idea of who I'm going to be working with. Uh, I try to meet them while they're in the hospital, get my, my, friendly face. So they have someone to connect with uh, when I meet them outpatient at the stroke clinic. And I give stroke education at the bedside to the patients, to the families. I try to go to the stroke codes to be extra support for whoever needs it, whether it be the stroke victim themselves who's waiting on the CAT scan table anxiously while the team decides if they're going to give TPA or if it's to hold a family member's hand while their loved one just got rushed to CAT scan with 20 team members. Um, I'm, I'm there to just be that extra support for however I need to be. And um, after that, I, I work very closely and finding out what the patients are discharged. I do a phone call follow-up about a week after they leave to see how things are going, if there's any loss in translation with medications or what it may be. And then I meet them uh, at the stroke clinic at their outpatient appointment just to kind of be that extra support person for them because although there are lovely family members that are able to be there, uh, it's not always the case for every patient. So I'd like them to know that they're not alone through this process and I try to help them cope and be there however I can and it's easy to talk to a nurse sometimes, a little bit easier than to a doctor. So I, I like to have that open communication and that relationship with the patients. So I gotta say I have a really cool job. <laughs> and your description of your title, what you just described and all the duties that you carry out, that navigator, it's truly uh, very fitting in terms of what you just described because they often say that the the gains that come post stroke often that role in transitioning to the services that are a place to set someone up for success often are as important as everything of course the first thing to do is if we can prevent at first a stroke that's the the best outcome right but when you have those transitions and those care coordination and things can go what the way you describe to fit all those those areas of need that sometimes go unfulfilled it's so like your role is like we you're you're a champion so thank you for doing and thank you for coming on the show too at the end of probably a long work day describing what you just did that's a busy day right there in itself um it sounds like you work a week and a day so um thank you and and um um do you want to add to, do, do, you know, you were mentioned in the beginning, it was, um, uh, we, we were glad to spotlight your, the symposium that you put on there for, for the Michael world to, um, world, world stroke day. I always get that confused with, uh, uh, the world stroke day and, and here in the U S it's, it's, we're looking at May and then we look at October and, but we, whatever we're going to call it. Um, if we bring attention to what we're doing here today as part of our show as well, we're always glad to promote events. So you want to talk a little bit more uh, about the speaker lineup and maybe 
um, share some insights from that event for folks who might not have been able to attend? Yeah, of course. Um, like, again, thank you guys so much for the shout out. Uh, our whole purpose of our events like that, our community events, is to reach out to as many people as we possibly can. Um, our Stroke Survivor Symposium, this is now the third year that we've been doing it. The guest speaker was Dr. Sanjay Mattel. He is our director of stroke here at UConn Health. He discussed the importance of stroke prevention and treatment, as well as ways to manage stroke risk factors. And then it was followed by three of our guest speakers, which were our stroke survivors themselves from our stroke survivor support group. Um, they went over, you know, all different ends of the spectrum. We have a young stroke patient who was able to get a thrombectomy. Uh, we had another young stroke patient story uh, who had TPA. And then we had um, one of our stroke patients that had a stroke, you know, over 10 years ago and talked about how he went from being a practicing paramedic to losing, unable to do his job to working really hard in rehab and with speech language pathology and able to be currently again, practicing as an EMT. So, you know, getting, getting to hear different stories from different perspectives. I, I just, I think that's the most heartwarming of all. Uh, our event is recorded. So if anyone did miss it and they were still interesting to hear the event, it is recorded and is available for others to hear. Um, one of our stroke survivors, and this is the whole reason why we, we do these kind of events, like I said, is to educate the community. And one of our stroke survivors who actually spoke, his name is Devin, he ultimately was turned away by some of his neighbors in his apartment complex when he was experiencing his stroke symptoms and was attempting to plead to call 911, even though he couldn't speak. And I cannot help to think that if all community members were educated on signs of a stroke, that maybe that wouldn't have happened. And he wouldn't have had to climb another flight of stairs and attempt for another neighbor to call 911 for him when he was unable to talk. Um, so I think by attending or listening to this event later on, um, that there's just so many things that people can gain from this. Um, and education is is so important. I can never feel like you can have enough education, whether you be a stroke survivor yourself, a stroke su survivor caregiver, um, or a healthcare provider, or just a community member. You never know when you might need the education. And although I hope none of you have to, um, I feel like you can never be too educated on this stuff. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the, the power of Zoom as well, being able to reach more people. It, I assume when you first kicked this off, it was in person and, and, you know, and now, you know, you have much greater reach. And I think, you know, it's certainly some of the potential of, of Zoom and being able to have, you know, reach a lar larger audience. But, um, you know, was there, is there any thought maybe to have this in person over the next year? Yeah. Yes, uh, that's definitely the goal. I, I think we'll always do a hybrid approach because we want to be able, like I said, to, to capture as many people as we possibly can and to not have the physical restrictions. I think it's great. Um, but our plan is for sure to be in person real soon. Um, even at the end of the event, Dr. Mattel was like, oh, we need to have this in person again next year because the physical connection and being able to see the the individuals firsthand, it, it has a whole different emotional toll on you and you get a whole different type of connection. So we really Absolutely. look forward to having our event in person next year. 
Um, just, you know, with the hospital restriction guidelines, obviously it was unable to happen, but trust me, that's, that's what the goal is next year. And we really look forward to it because we get a really great turnout when it's in person, because like I said, that, that physical connection and emotional connection you get, uh, there, there's nothing else like it, honestly. I'd have to agree. And, you know, we, we launched our kind of support through Enable Us right actually at the start of the pandemic. So David and I, we've actually met face-to-face one time, two times now, two times. But um, even I was previous to being in Canada, I was living in Dublin for about six years. So, you know, David and I kind of launched this, met, met virtually. And then with the pandemic happening, you know, we started virtual support groups which was very unique because, you know, we were able to tie in folks from Ireland, the UK. We had some folks of Canada and obviously the US all attending these virtual events. But I have to say, you know, that that in-person connection, it definitely makes a difference. Um, so maybe let's let's dive more into that. So talk us through kind of pre-pandemic. What, what did the support groups look like you know did did you did you have any of these designed previously in person and then obviously now since the pandemic when you joined in june these were all virtual right so how how have people been responding in in support groups and you know what what does that structure look like uh, at uconn sure thanks so you know pre-pandemic everything was in person um zoom and webex was barely even a thing before the pandemic. Um, so everything was in person. We were meeting once a month physically face to face. Obviously, this was before I started my role, but that's what was the structure. Once the pandemic hit, obviously everything changed. But I think all considering, um, we were still able to give the patients the support that they needed. Um, Jennifer, our strokes coordinator, did an amazing job with the situation at hand because just because we were in a pandemic, stroke victims don't stop having strokes and they don't stop needing the support. And going through a pandemic and being perfectly healthy physically and mentally is so exhausting. Um, And then throwing in a life-altering event or having a new disability on top of that um, that's going to make you feel more isolated and alone than ever. Um, so we we definitely, our program made sure that we we kept having these events and kept having our support groups monthly online, giving all the support that we possibly could. Um, keeping that phone connection to, uh, they have direct access to mine as well as Jennifer's phone numbers. Um, and we're there to be that resource for them at any time. They have our numbers and we always tell everyone, please reach out if you need anything at all. Because um, we want to be as personal as we can, even during these times when we're sometimes not allowed to be. Um, but now I'm fortunate enough where we're able to now meet hybrid again. So we are currently meeting in person as well as having it online. Uh, We're meeting in our large conference room. It's got a great big screen on the wall. So uh, our people who are attending virtually, they're on a huge, probably like 85 inch TV. So we're able to see their faces up nice and close. um, And they get a view of the entire conference room where they get to see the stroke survivors that do attend. And uh, we all get to connect in a new way and 
I think people have been finding it really positive because more people are able to attend uh, for the ones that work or, you know, maybe don't live in the area anymore, but still want to be a part of our, our support group and our program. Um, but it allows people who don't love all the technology or, you know, really miss that face-to-face. Sometimes it's one of their only outings of the month and they really look forward to coming to these support groups. So um, I'm, I'm holding on and, and keeping them in person for as long as I can and until rules tell me I can't. <laughs> That's a really interesting hybrid mix for a virtual group. That's so if they're not there, they're on the wall bigger than life, it sounds like. So they're that, that much. <laughs> that's great, Brooke. Um, can you tell our listeners what um, what night, uh, what day or what night, what when do you meet during the month? Sure. Yeah, we currently meet on the fourth Wednesday of every month um, from 12 to 1 p.m. So it is currently during the day. Um, and we are meeting, like I said, online as well as in person. We meet in the outpatient pavilion at UConn Health. And I will give you guys my information to share at the end of this um, for anyone who's interested. If they want to be a part of it, they can be a part of my email chain and they'll get all the updates on all our, our meetings. Uh, the current meeting that's going to be happening this month, though, is going to be on Wednesday, the 17th from 12 to 1. It's a little bit off of our course. It's the third Wednesday this month, but that's only because of holidays coming up. But I didn't want to stop having the sessions because of the holidays because, again, around the holidays could be a time where, you know, you need the support more than ever. So I, I didn't want to dismiss the need for the support group. So I just changed the time a little bit, but um, we're always going to be available. So great. Please attend if anyone's interested. Uh, yeah, what, I, I guess that'll give my contact information. Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes too, for sure. Thank you. If you include that after, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, Brooke, now when you, let's backtrack to when you mentioned, uh, unfortunately, strokes are going to continue through the pandemic, right? So they continue to happen and they continues to be support. But when you're now kind of seeing folks come through, right? What, have you seen any changes in terms of access to certain programs, access to, you know, if you just think of overall barriers, you know, that that stroke survivors and their caregivers and loved ones are are going through. What do you think has shifted, you know, pre-pandemic to now? And like, have you seen behaviors change at all in terms of, you know, what they expect from out of a rehab program as well? I would say that, you know, that especially that personal connection sometimes is being missed a little bit um, post-pandemic. You know, these rehab centers are very, very cautious of their visitors. They're very cautious of their staff um, because although we're not in the heart of the pandemic in the numbers that they used to be, um, we obviously don't want it to get back to that point. And especially these patients in rehab can be can be very sick and uh, they need to make sure that they're protected. So I feel like in that sense, sometimes families don't feel as connected um, in a part of family meetings and, um, you know, feeling like a full member of the team from, you know, current experiences that I'm hearing from patient family members that they've been, you know, mentioning to me. Um, so although I find that that's unfortunate, um, it's not a tell all be all. And like I tell all of them, 
you are your, your family member's biggest advocate. And if you were to ever feel that way, you, you need to openly communicate that with the team because as a healthcare provider, sometimes you have tunnel vision and you kind of forget that there's actually people that you're taking care of. And I know that sounds mean to say, um, but you're so focused on just making sure that they're safe. They're getting all their meds and doing all these things. Um, you're forgetting the big picture sometimes. So sometimes just having someone acknowledge that you have, they will take a step back and realize, okay, maybe we haven't talked to them in four days and they're not aware of the plan. And maybe that's why they're feeling a little bit anxious and, you know, communication goes a real long way. And like I said, you will always be your, your family member's biggest advocate. So um, just know that communication is key. Uh, I had a follow-up question and it's uh, maybe um, I think you came in on the team, maybe when things maybe were starting to open up, but um, you know, as, as a, as a rehab professional, I have, I'm always wondering because we've talked to other folks throughout the country when things were shutting down March, April, May, I think you, you said you came on in June um, were um what was the uh, outpatient clinic and the, the rehab team, were they able to continue to provide services or did they, was there a period where things completely had to shut down from a, a care delivery standpoint in person? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, personally here at UConn, we shut down the clinic for in-person visits for a very, a very brief time, only a few months, I would say. Um, but everything was virtual, um, and that, that's for our rehab center as well as our stroke neurologist appointments. Um, so our clinic closed physically, but never fully. We were still having virtual visits uh, with the patients and still working with the exercises, doing that extra physical support, emotional support, as well as the education and the full stroke workup uh, that's still needed because just because we're going through a pandemic, you can't just ignore the fact of everything that's going on with the patient's health and um, it's still just as important. So that was the beauty of um, Zoom and WebEx and you know all this technology during this time and I'm ever so grateful for it. Um, and thankfully we've now opened back up and we're, we're meeting all our patients in person again and the rehab center is completely open. So. Thankfully, we're getting our normalcy back, um, but it was it was a difficult time for for everyone, and I, I truly sympathize and empathize with everyone that that had to go through this kind of event. And then, like I said, during a pandemic, on top of it, it, it was no easy task. That's for sure for anyone. Great, yeah, and you know, it's I feel like you you know you've you've come into a role that. You've you've been helping people at a at a time when there's a lot of confusion, and you know you you opened up kind of talking about your role really to bridge this gap, right? When when you're coming home and what at what stage are, are you know as a Yukon Health Center, like what are you guys actually providing at that discharge phase when you bridge that gap, right? So when when you think about just the complexity of appointments, different, different, um, therapists that they need to be seeing all these open questions. 
do you provide like packets or what information are you, are you sending or is it to you on your role on your shoulders to like be giving them all this education and keeping track of appointments like how's that work because I can imagine that's a big barrier it is a big barrier um we have a great we do a inter interdisciplinary approach you know our neurologists that see the patient in the hospital they're the ones who who make the recommendation of needing the stroke workup outpatient. Um, we're currently working as well as with the cardiology department on getting echocardiograms performed outpatient, um, getting a heart monitor put on a patient. And then uh, a big portion of it is me. Um, so like I said, part of my job with meeting the patients while they're in the hospital, I, I make individualized folders for patients when, I, when I'm able to meet them in the hospital. And in that, in that folder, I put the support group with my information on it. Um, I put whatever, whatever information is needed for that patient. I try to tailor it uh, depending on their needs. So if a patient really struggles with hypertension, I give them um, some AHA uh, flyers and an information on the importance of not being living with hypertension, as well as um, the importance of medication adherence and going to your doctor's appointments. Um, you know, whether it be emotional support, I, I will follow up with them more, more closely if I feel like they need to, as well as um, put in a neurosocial worker consult outpatient as well. Um, so like I said, I really just try to tailor it to what I think the patient needs and um, give them as many resources as possible. And I always tell all my patients because um, they might not think that they need the resources. They might think, oh, there's someone more sick than me or, or no, I, I'm lucky I have family that cares about me. But you, you never know what the resources have to offer if you, if you don't try to take advantage of it. I always say, just, just look at all of them you know, find out a little bit more information and then just filter through what you need and don't need because you really might not know how helpful or beneficial it could be for you to have these extra resources and you never know if you don't ask. So I always think to have an open mind is the best, is the best way to go about it. Interesting. And, and like how, I'm just trying to drill down like this, you know, we, we have a question around looking at how you know technology has aided you know through this process in the in the post-pandemic world and and now you know we're moving to more of a hybrid model but you know for you personally to manage that are, are you kind of are you using my chart or epic like how do, how do you i know you said you have a, like is it actual like physical folder that you're using or is any of this tracked like back into my chart and, and digitally through ehr so uh, we do use Epic. I personally give physical charts because, um, or physical folders because Everybody likes I, that, I yeah. think I think people still like the hard copy, like you're saying, as well as um, you know, maybe they're bored one day and then they decide to read through the flyer and actually like read the information and have it like click with them and it, them to have some kind of like physical resource for their if they're stressed or in a certain situation, they know they can just open the flyer and look to see what, what's in there. Um, but we also do work really closely with all our, our stroke units. Um, all, our, all our nurses at UConn are just so great in making sure that they attach um, documentation in the, in the MAR, as well as you know, the electronic health record. Uh, with their discharge summary, they put 
a bunch of stroke education information as well, whether it be the patient had a TIA or um, if the patient recently was diagnosed with diabetes because that puts them at a higher risk for stroke as well, you know, ways to have a healthy diet. Um, so the patient has a lot of ways to receive the, the educational materials that we offer, but specifically the folders that I, I do, it's, it's all old school, hard copy. <laughs> Sometimes putting stuff on the fridge is not a bad, bad method too, right? So I give magnets sometimes too. There you go. <laughs> it works. <laughs> uh, can I, a uh, follow-up question to that is uh, on the, on the stroke clinic side, I know I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the, the best outcome after a stroke is not to have that first one, right? But if if someone, do you get referrals for someone who might've had that first TIA may come in scared? Like, do, do they, do you, do you get them sort of as that, that before that, that maybe that first big event, but they've had that those warning signs that we, that we talk about that, you know, there's a higher incidence that could lead to, another event. Um, do you get referrals to your stroke clinic early on like that? Does that, does that actually, is that the way your model is designed to, to try to intervene early? Absolutely. Um, like I said, when I do keep track of all our stroke patients that get a stroke workup, any patient that's diagnosed with a TIA or a stroke, they are followed in our stroke up workup work clinic. Um, and you would be surprised. It's a lot of the times, a lot of the patients I'm, I'm talking to long phone conversations or have those high anxiety moments are, are my TIA patients. Um, they're, they're petrified that they're going to have a stroke. Um, it really is a wake up call for them. And, you know, any little numbness or tingling in a finger or in their face for even a brief second, it's like they're, they don't know if they need to call 911 again. Uh, they're, they're, they're very scared. And I always try to reel it back with education, um, you know, because ultimately 80% of strokes are preventable, which is a great number. Um, so, you know, just learning what your risk factors, personal risk factors are and knowing what you can do to change them. Uh, the ones that you do have control over like blood pressure, exercise, diet, smoking cessation, all those wonderful things. Um, you know, that'll just alone, hopefully put you at a lower risk and, Another thing is really just making sure that they have that resource person, which I, I'm there for them. So I find that helpful because, like I said, sometimes I'll get a phone call where they're like they're worried about a numbness, a brief numbness episode. So whether it be I move their appointment a little bit closer and sooner so the stroke neurologist sees them sooner or you know I refer them to back to the ED and have them call 911 um, I, I do whatever I need to do to make sure that the patient feels supported um, and educated it sounds like you could use a an assistant <laughs> maybe one day yeah <laughs> definitely as our stroke program continues to grow I, uh, I definitely think I'll I'll need an assistant <laughs> Well, Brooke, uh, we, we'd love to kind of recap and, and end on a question that we ask all of our guests. And this question is, given your experience and given you know, both your clinical experience, but also the experience that you've had dealing with sur stroke survivors and, and caregivers, loved ones, um, and you know, now in this post-pandemic world with folks used to what Zoom is, 
and technology, you know, technology in the healthcare experience. If you could, if we gave you a magic wand and you could redesign the stroke rehab experience, obviously prevention would be key for the first one, but what, what does that post stroke rehab experience look like to Brooke Medell? Well, I loved that question. It made me smile the first the first time I, I heard you guys ask me. Um, pretty much what I would want the rehab experience to be for my patients is to really focus on that long-term recovery and prevention. I feel like the focus with stroke rehab is mostly, if not all, physical. And although physical recovery is extremely important, you know, being able to regain mobility and whatnot, I think that the emotional rehabilitation and getting, you know, an activity routine, getting a gym membership, um, healthy food programs. Um, I, I think those are, are so important for, you know, long-term stroke improvement, as well as, you know, knowing your resources with a, whether it be a support group or needing a case manager or social worker, um, you know, finding out on ways to have services and rides for appointments, whether that, what it may be, like, I think the long-term improvement is what's so important. And I, I wish our healthcare system was designed better for that situation. I feel like they're always focused on the short term, how we can treat the patient in the shortest amount of time, spending the least amount of money, but they don't understand that that actually hurts them in the long run because you're sell, you're selling them short and they might end up getting another stroke or you know having other medical issues later on because we're not doing that full follow through and making sure that you know they're getting that healthy diet and access to healthy foods and access to gym memberships and support groups and all those other wonderful resources that are offered out there so we, that, we share the, the we share the same magic wand in many ways from what you just described there michael and i are doing that's that's what the end we're working towards so um I, i'd like to uh give you a chance to after looking at your website your you and your team have had some um really great recognition that comes with a lot of hard work do you mind mentioning um, and maybe giving us a little bit of a, um, I have to look down to read it, but the gold plus, um, you have high performance recognition in two areas that is on your website. Can you talk to that and how you get those distinctions? And I know Mike is, uh, this is where I, 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 I have a trouble wrapping things up because there's so many things I want to ask. If you wouldn't mind just taking a minute and then, well, definitely it's been a long day for you. And I, 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 I'll end with that one. I just want you guys to, you know, you know, give yourself a pat on the back. Well, thank you, David. So yeah, I mean, here at UConn, um, our stroke program is we really call all our patients, uh, you know, part of our stroke family. Um, and we really do do our best to treat our patients that way. Uh, fortunately, UConn Health has been given the gold plus get with the guidelines award for five years in a row now. So every year that we've been eligible to get the highest award that we could possibly get for stroke awards, we, we have been receiving, which is a huge honor for us. And um, it only attributes to all the hard work that all our staff puts into this. So there are best practice guidelines uh, for every stroke patient where we have to meet certain times, certain medications, 
um, certain education. And um, clearly without a word, our program has gone above and beyond that and uh, why we've, we've earned this Gold Plus Award. So it's just acknowledgement of all the hard work that we do and all the pride we take and serving our stroke population because we really do treat all our patients as family and, and do absolutely everything we can to give them the best possible care that we can give. We're glad to spotlight a job well done. And with that, Michael, I promise you, unless Brooke has questions for us, I'm, I, I, and you've had a long day and I know, (laughs) um, this is, um, this has um, been really great to, to be able to showcase your work. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be sure to, um, you know, copy all links to, you know, you can help the, if there's any direct links to any of the support group signups, anything, um, you know, we'll, we'll get those in the show notes um, for okay. after, but is there, is there, are there like, do you have a social media, anything like that? If people wanted to follow, follow either you personally or, or, you know, UConn Health as well? Sure. Um, yeah, I will give all my information out at the end of this. I'll give our Stroke Survivor Group flyer that has all my information if anyone wants to reach out and be a part of the group. Um, one of our Stroke Survivor members, actually, her name's Drea. She also spoke at our Stroke Survivor Symposium. She created a Connecticut Stroke Awareness Facebook group. So I can provide the name of that at the end of this as well. And Perfect. And please give it a follow. She actually gives all our, our guest speakers and all their information from our support group. She posts that all on the website uh, for other stroke survivors to, to have access to. Um, and it's just a really great place for, for stroke survivors in Connecticut to connect with one another. Um, so I'll share all that as well. And again, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. Um, like I said, it's an honor and anyone's welcome to our Stroke Survivor group, but if you can't come to ours, I will also give you the link of the Connecticut list of stroke support groups for people to find in their areas if interested. So I just want people to get all the support that they possibly can get um, as stroke survivors. They're warriors is how I call them, and um, they deserve all the love and support that they can get. And we're here to give it. Well, keep up the great work you're doing. It's so nice to meet you this evening. And with that, Michael, you want to send us out? We're at episode five of You got it right. Michael season, has season two. Episode five. That's a wrap. Thank you, you very it. much, Brooke. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can meet, have this conversation again soon and, and possibly Dave and I will come crash the next in person symposium next year. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice Thank evening. You. you too. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke, recovery, and the brain with tips, technology, and interesting Stroke Thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. 
Please check the show notes to follow us on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.